0: Okay, I was making sure I was in the butt setting. Yeah. For those of you who don't know,
1: there's a butt setting.
0: (laughs) It's the one appropriate for podcasting.
1: If you have a Yeti.
0: If you have a Yeti, indeed.
1: So, man, how are you? I'm really tired. For some reason, I've been going to bed at whatever arbitrary time I decide and waking up at 3 a.m. And I don't know why, but I literally like I'll just lay there and I'll be like, it's 3 a.m. I could go to bed. I I could fall asleep for like two more hours. It's not even a like, oh, I just have like 30 minutes before I get up. Like I might as well just get up two hours and I'll just lay there for like 30 or 45 minutes and be like, well, I guess I'm not falling back asleep. Cool. Great. (laughs) Well, at least you're not like me. I woke up, what was
0: it, Wednesday morning after we, no, it must have been thursday morning after we recorded our last episode of vampire we had to record early and uh i woke up i went to bed around one thirty because we recorded late and then i woke up at four o'clock and i was like oh my god i have an idea <laughs> <laughs> i know how i'm gonna solve these problems i know exactly what i'm gonna do i gotta write it all down <laughs> and then i was so wired because i was so excited about what <laughs> i was coming up with that i could not fall back asleep i had to go do a 12 hour shift on like three hours of sleep, it was awful. That sounds awful. And I finally calmed down at like five. You know, I did like an hour of oh my god, I got to write this down. And I was like, I take melatonin now. I will never wake up. <laughs> I will sleep.
1: I will rip Van
0: Winkle. I will rip Van Winkle my way through work today. So luckily, I didn't have to do much for training a new guy. So he basically has to do all the shit I used to have to do because that's what you do when you're the newbie. Yeah. And so I get to sit there and be like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> look at me. I'm not new anymore. So, yeah. Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 70 of our series, Seeking Out the Weird, the Unexplained, and the Devious from Around the World. I am Casey. And I am Roya. And. Uh, no new special episode today for our 70th episode instead we've decided to spend each week of june in celebration of pride we plan to talk about crimes history folklore and yes even corpse stories all revolving around the lgbtq plus community and shedding some light on different stories from our community as two queer bitches yep so with that uh you can follow us on instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast at twitter at underscore strange unusual and on facebook just search for strange and unusual podcast
1: also have a patreon
0: patreon.com slash strange unusual
1: yeah we've got a couple of new bonus episodes out on there we've got the omen and how fucking haunted that and cursed that movie set was Mm -hmm. as well as um the story of mary vincent bad bitch bad bitch
0: uh and hey this week friday night eight thirty eastern uh season finale of v5 dark ages at twitch.tv slash gehenna gaming come see me the fancy nun being fancy also corpsey anyway hi how are you
1: <laughs> i'm doing all right um i just wanted to kind of like so if you guys who are listening didn't know somehow uh casey and i are members card carrying members Of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, I just wanted to do a little bit of like a personal commentary here about like, you know. So like personally looking back at my childhood, I was a super queer kid. Uh, My Barbies were all lesbians. They all had. I had. I had crushes on friends that were boys and friends that were girls. Almost all of my Hi. early like character crushes were female. I openly identified as bisexual when I was around thirteen, and then as pansexual in my early twenties. Um, so, like Casey said, in the month of June, in honor of Gay Pride or Gay Wrath, depending on which one of the sins you're deciding we're covering this year, everybody, <laughs> all our, all my gay friends out there. Um, we're going to be talking about the gay agenda every episode. Yeah. Gay. Gay serial killers. We got them. Queer people and the roles they play in various cultures. We got that. I'm talking about that today. Recent crimes against primarily trans women of colors. We're going to unfortunately cover those too. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I have, I have to say something also. Uh, like I also was a very bisexual type person, but I, I did not immediately gravitate toward that. I was not the super queer kid. Mm-hmm. It was just in high school, I was like, man, I like I like her a lot more than I probably should.
1: <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> what does that
0: say about me? And then so going forward as a bisexual person, I was like, man, I'm also really attracted to that trans dude and I don't care that he's trans. <laughs> like And Roya explained to me what a pansexual person was, and I said, Oh, that's me. <laughs> I like all people
1: as long as they are a good people. Yeah. Um. For the the lame uh, "hearts not parts" argument. Hearts not parts. Yep. But yeah, and like you know, I we were talking to a few of my friends recently I say we I was talking to a few friends recently and we've had conversations in our like friends discord too about Mm -hmm. like sexuality and gender identity and everything and how it's just like ever growing and it's always changing and like I don't know I think part of like the kind of beauty about being human is that you're always should be learning something new about yourself and always should be growing and developing and refocusing i find
0: it's very i don't know i this is me like this is closeted casey saying i always feel like it's really weird to tell people that i'm queer when i'm in a married relationship with a cis hetero uh yeah hetero white dude just like <laughs> like yeah i know it doesn't make me less gay <laughs> yeah
1: and it's a struggle for a lot of people it's you know it's a erasure it's saying mm-hmm. that you know like you you somehow don't get to qualify yourself as being bisexual or pansexual if you're in a heteronormative relationship. And that doesn't make sense. Or even any in sense. a gay relationship. Cause then you're just a lisp. But like even then, even then more people will be willing to accept that you're bisexual if you're in a relationship with someone of the same yes, gender of the same sex than if you're in a relationship with someone of the opposite gender. Yes. And I just I think it's so ridiculous. I remember having an argument when I was like thirteen or fourteen after kind of coming out as as by with a sort of acquaintance of mine that was a lesbian and she was just like you just don't know what you want and i mm-hmm. was like i just don't care like yeah what gender they are like i just don't care why yeah. should that matter if i'm attracted to that person why should i suddenly why does it- have to stop being attracted to them because they have the the wrong quote-unquote parts or whatever mm-hmm. it just didn't make any sense to me It just never made sense of like, you could be completely and totally in love with someone, but then just like, well, you have a penis, so I can't love you. Mm -hmm. Like that, what? No. Or if you, man, if you were a girl, I would date you. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Date them. It's okay. Yeah. Like It's fine. Just love
0: who you love and get over it. But anyway, what are you talking about today?
1: So I am talking about um, queer people throughout various cultures. And um it it's a lot of third gender and trans people, trans identities throughout cultures and history. Um, so like areas of the world or areas within a culture where they have a distinct name, they have a distinct identity that is attributed to a trans person or a person who belongs into this third gender, that comes with their own like set of ideas, goals, jobs, restrictions, things like that. Because like looking at things in the US like as far as like the westernized idea of sexuality, like everything else, colonialism really fucked up the world. Yep. And fuck colonialism. I found oh, yeah. I found so many. Make it trend. I found so many. I ended up having to cut it down. I think I've got 4. I found 20 different i mean i had so many tabs open and so i finally had to distinguish between because i was going to do anything like any culture that has a unique perspective on a a additional gender or genders but then i was like there's too many i want to give like a good description without getting too crazy detailed into everything but i can't do 20 like this isn't something like the yokai where i'm like i can do a sentence or two about this like this yeah. demon does this thing and this demon does that thing and this demon lives in the toilet like it's not it's not as cut and dry as that and so it's the toilet band <laughs> so i ended up cutting it down to culture like like ancient cultures or cultures that pre-existed colonialism that had an established mm-hmm. through line for People who did not identify as man or woman, but were still accepted and important to their own society, um, which is how I kind of got down to, like, the the four or five I talk about. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah, it was a lot. Like, this is, I mean, six pages, which is a fair amount for me. My notes are normally about three pages,
0: so... My notes are... My notes are three pages today, yeah. so we'll even out.
1: <laughs> but I was... Oh. Yeah, I've been... There was so much researching. There's so much just reading through the history and trying to weed out the information that would take too much to kind of explain like the history and the hierarchy of how the caste system in India works. Like I don't, I'm not that detailed into things. Right. So when I do my segment, if I'm doing it now or if I'm doing it after yours, I don't know. But keep in mind that I'm, I'm painting with very broad strokes. And that um, if you're listening to this and you belong to any of these particular groups of people, if I missed something that you feel is important, please send us an email where I can correct it. Um, because I do want to help educate that's kind of why when I was started looking into this I was really interested because there's one that I found that is not a person of color that's like of these areas of the world where it was accepted to have a an alternate gender Hmm. and I don't end up talking about them because they were basically just like yeah they're trans people and we had a name for them and it was in in Italy in Naples Um, but there wasn't anything not what i expected yeah there wasn't anything that was like you know they were associated with like mysticism and they they had these specific jobs they were given like it was a big deal to be considered one of these you know so i i sort of left them off because it was kind of just like yeah they recognized that they were trans people as early or as more as recently as like the 1800s and they called them this And they were just like affect and so many, almost all of them, almost all of these third genders are, are people who were born assigned male at birth that share feminine traits. I found one that has the opposite. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And they still have both. Like there's just... There's a couple that have like a name for if a person is trans female or if a person is trans male. But like more often than not the main focus was men who have people who were born biologically male who adopted more female characteristics, mannerisms, position in life, those kinds of responsibilities and mm-hmm. you know dressed according to how the women of the time and that culture dressed, their hair everything like that restrictions on the gender sometimes too but it's it was really interesting the more research i did into it but what are you talking about sorry that was really (laughs) (laughs) long-winded i'm going to be talking about queen
0: dorian Corey. oh i love her and the skeletons in her closet
1: yeah if you want like maybe every episode we should like recommend some like piece of gay media to ingest because if you have not watched watched paris is burning (laughs) Burning. <laughs> and the whole time I'm going, Oh, RuPaul says that. Yeah. Oh, RuPaul says that. Oh, RuPaul says that. Yeah. Tens, tens, tens across the board. I was like, oh RuPaul says that. Yeah. Or like if you enjoy the show Pose, if you have not watched Paris oh, is yeah. Burning, what the fuck are you doing? Go watch Paris is Burning, because that's what Pose is based on. That that lifestyle or legendary on hbo
0: fucking voguing i'm like whoa i wanted a movie about willy ninja and his voguing
1: i think there's just a movie called vogue that's like the behind the scenes of the the ballroom dancers that were involved in in the music video but yes uh everybody go watch Paris is burning dorian Corey
0: is a fucking hoot yeah she's great i feel like i would vibe with her so much <laughs> but so mine has an actual corpse in it should i start sure <laughs> okay you usually start because yours are usually the fucking yeah, worst. yeah you you so right I'll you rate. Right. so let's start off with the wee woos warning i'm about to tell you a story that involves uh what will likely be a discussion on gay trans and poc abuse i also say the word balls a lot <laughs> so just forewarning going into this So Dorian Corey was born as Frederick Legg in Buffalo, New York in 1937 and was raised on a farm. Uh, Her first paid job was a window dresser in Buffalo, and she started drag from a fairly young age in Buffalo. Um, She ended up going to New York City and worked as a hairdresser. She performed in a drag cabaret group as a snake dancer, and she attended Parsons School for Design because she's a fucking badass
1: oh yeah her costume like insane they don't touch on it really in paris is burning because in paris is burning she's she's, basically like this grandmother going like just talking about how kids these days yeah (laughs) like she's this like grand dam of the ballroom scene and so you she is uh to paris is burning
0: what maggie smith is to down yeah
1: Mm -hmm. and and so she's already kind of been there done that and has that sort of mentality about her too which is really fun yeah, but you it. don't get to see a lot of her like in her heyday with the costume and the wigs and everything that she managed to do because i've heard that it's incredible
0: oh my gosh i was listening to one podcast about her and they were talking about how she well, i'll get into it a little bit but uh she had this marie Antoinette costume i was gonna say
1: is she the one with the marie that had a guillotine
0: attached to yeah it?
1: <laughs> it's like she just fucking walked in with a guillotine Yeah, on. they reference that in Pose as well for anybody who's wa- maybe watched Pose that's not familiar with it. Electra comes in, Electra Abundance comes in in this Marie Antoinette dress with a carousel at the bottom and mm. it's a... Um, dress that like as she's walking in they basically pull a guillotine out around her and like force her into it and then they like cut off her head but it's just like the jacket is able to like come up higher so it looks like she's had her head cut off and it's just it's a very cool moment but it's based off of this Dorian Corey dress and she also had like this cape it was a gold cape that took
0: up the entire ballroom floor like Incredible. this one was insane yeah uh she appeared on the 1972 pearl box review lp call me mister and uh they actually toured the eastern uh coast together the four of them so she was like you know pretty big deal uh she was a very heavy hitter in the new york city ball scene and uh popular among uh black and latinx gay trans communities she ran and designed uh a clothing label called Cory Designs. She was the founder, excuse me. <clears throat> she was the founder of House Cory, winning well over 50 grand prizes in these voguing balls. And uh, sometime between 60s and 70s, she began taking female hormones and had breast implants. And had severed all ties with her family.
1: Do you want to take a moment and kind of explain ball culture or do you do that?
0: Uh, I don't, but I do want to take a moment to say I'm a, I'm about to say drag queen a lot, which in this scenario uh, was sort of intertwined with trans women. hmm uh so that being said like i I talk about pepper labasia later um and (laughs) (laughs) that that part is so good in
1: paris is burning
0: (laughs) in paris is burning they very specifically state i did not have a sex change i was a drag queen i did not want to have a sex change but these other drag queens had sex changes and that there was a difference um but they were all just called drag queens Mm -hmm. so i will go forward calling her a drag queen as that was what she was referred to i will not say the word transvestite even though that was a word that was used because no um and uh yeah So ball culture was specifically sort of like a haven, a way for black and Latinx, mostly LGBT and trans people would go into these places to feel safe and to um, show off. And my brain's not working. Okay,
1: so you basically, the, the hierarchy of a ball is that there are categories that you walk like any kind of competition. And then there is a group of people who are normally like veterans within the community who will judge and rate your appearance as it relates to whatever the category is. And so for a lot of people in this time period, it gave them an opportunity to kind of explore things that they couldn't be but desperately wanted to be. So there's like collegiate realness. Where you're supposed to come out and you look like you belong on the campus of Harvard and yep. or um, military was one yeah of them. military is one of them um, corporate is another one like coming out looking like you own everything you know opulence. <laughs> And so there are different categories. There's categories like realness, where it was Banji. Yeah. There were, uh, the realness was how real do you look? If someone was to walk past, and this is something that's kind of, like, falling out of favor now, but, like, if someone were to walk past you on the street, would they think you were a real woman? Or a real man? Mm -hmm. And so, a big part of this was it gave people a space where it was safe to be unapologetically them, to be Mm -hmm. out, gay, proud, queer, wearing what they want to wear wearing nothing sometimes in different categories and body yada yada yeah and um it also gave a sense of home So Casey earlier mentioned that Dorian Corey started the House of Corey. You probably heard of like um, the, what is it, House Labs, like House of Gaga, all of these different fashion houses and things like that. And that's what the ball houses are based on. If you watch uh, RuPaul's Drag Race or any other kind of show like that, people who belong to houses it's where you see like Davenport where there's just like yeah. 15 drag queens with the last name of Davenport. They're all one Mateo. house. Yeah. And that's where you get the the drag mother, drag sister, drag cousin, drag father, house father, things like that. And so when these things were created when you have the um, House of Labasia if you went to a ball and you impressed Pepper Labasia who was the current mother of the House of Labasia at the time, you might be invited to become a member of the House of Labasia. That meant that Pepper Labasia and all of the other Labasias became responsible for you. They made sure you had food. They made sure you had a place to stay that was safe. They made sure that you had clothes to work in the ball and do all of the things to get jobs, to get work, to be safe. And they
0: essentially became your surrogate family, which a lot of these gay kids we're missing yeah
1: a lot of these ball cultures you see uh they're starting to pop up again which i think is great they're kind of coming back into vote Huh. <laughs> But it it happens a lot in major metropolitan areas. So there was a huge, the biggest area was New York, which Mm -hmm. at the time period of the, you know, late 70s to early 90s was where everybody went when they wanted, you know, like if you're an artsy kid, if you're a gay kid, if you're, you know, you don't fit in, New York is the place where everyone goes that doesn't fit in. And so it's where all of these youths who were kicked out of their houses or abandoned by their parents or things like that that flocked to because it's the place where the weird go to excel and so a lot of these people were found and you know there were a lot of native new yorkers too but you see it happen uh there's a big huge ball culture in atlanta there's a big one in chicago There's a big one. I want to say in Dallas or Houston, basically like any big metropolitan area, you can probably find a ball scene. And it's because that's where people, you know, when you're kicked out of your house in Podunk, Georgia, you're not going to want to stay there. You're going to want to go somewhere that maybe will accept you more. So you go to the big city. And so that was the biggest part of being in a house was it gave you responsibilities as far as a member of the house, but it also gave you the added security of not being alone. You didn't have to live on the street. Most of the time, some of the time, you didn't have to work in the sex trade. You know, there were there were alternatives. They would teach you skills, teach you how to sew, help you get jobs, like tons of really positive things. And most importantly, would give you a sense of family, of chosen family when your family chose to abandon you. So that's why these houses and this ball culture is so important to... Where we are now in LGBTQIA... Plus society. It's a piece of history that's really important to remember. And I'm happy that it's kind of coming back again into conversation where it's not getting lost to time.
0: And it's important to also point out that a lot of the things that we just talked about, like realness and, you know, throwing shade, they talk about that in Paris is Burning. Like a lot of that is super appropriated now. Um, Oh, yeah. So just be aware of the words you use, people.
1: Yeah, make (laughs) make sure that you recognize where it came from. It's important, you know. And
0: watch Paris is burning. Just yes, watch cuz it's I think it's important for all people, not just gay or people of color or, you know, whatever. I think it's really important that um people see what, you know, other people had to go through.
1: Yeah, and this is also all happening at the like peak of the AIDS epidemic in America. AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like so many people are being lost at the time for cuz a government doesn't give a fuck about them. And yep. so it's even more important Important for the people of this time period to have had these connections because you never knew who was going to be there next week, you know, which is very unfortunate. Okay, now that we've done like 30 minutes of not neither one of our actual I cases. Say, I was
0: like, <laughs> I uh, I hope this gets sleep streamlined because I don't want this to be a two hour episode. We'll see. <laughs> so, speaking of houses, what I was about to say before I was so
1: rudely oh interrupted.
0: Dorian uh, was actually the mother of angie extravaganza uh mother of house extravaganza before she left house cory and to start house extravaganza uh breaking off and uh inspiring the first episode of pose so watch that also it's
1: it's very good (laughs) it's very sad Uh, it is very
0: sad she was uh cory was known to be a gentle person but you did not fuck um there is a quote from new york magazine that said dorian she just Helped you laugh, forget your problems. She was, she was everyone's like angel, and I just think that's so nice. That's such a nice thing to say about a dead person. Yeah. So she was an absolute fucking legend in the Dragon Trans world, uh, and like I said, since we're gonna be here for a month, uh, if we if we talk about queens and we're in the like. 70s 80s we're probably talking about a trans woman but not always yeah so keep that in mind going anyway dorian's uh last performance was at sally's 2 and sally's hideaway was like another little club for for these sorts of things um for trans and queer people uh to have like a haven and uh it burned down so then they opened sally's (laughs) 2 But her last performance was there on May 8th of 1993 uh, for Grammy night, uh, where she performed a lip sync of Regina Bell's If I Could, dressed in a white gown, dripping with pearls. And she even won the award for Entertainer of the Year. Unfortunately, Dorian died on August 29th, 1993, due to complications with AIDS. and She was 56 years old. In September, a memorial service was held for Dorian, on the same floor which she had last performed, uh, which I think is very sweet. Mm -hmm. And during the last three years of her life, uh, she had been taken care of by a friend named Lois Taylor, another queen. Lois had the responsibility of selling Dorian's costumes after her death. Essentially, take what you want and sell the rest, was what Dorian had told her. And two months after her death, Lois entered with two acquaintances uh, there to purchase some costumes for Halloween. The group started going through Cory's legendary costumes when they discovered a green plaid garment bag from the 60s crumpled over on the floor under an old orange witch gown. <laughs> and taylor said it was too heavy for her to lift because she was only 135 pounds herself that's what she t- that's what she told police i'm only 135 pounds i couldn't move this it wasn't me <laughs> it was so heavy and overstuffed that she decided to find the zipper uh but she could not find the zipper there was no zipper to be found and so she grabbed some scissors handed it to one of the guys that she came in with, <laughs> here said, go you- ahead and cut it open you
1: to do this because
0: i don't want to. yeah i'm only 130 so pounds as- i can't cut this I can't cut this. As soon as the man cuts open the bag, the trio are greeted by a horrific smell. Oh, and Taylor immediately called the police, because she didn't want to take any chances. When asked if she stayed to see what or who was inside, Lois said, quote, No, 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 child. After the cops came, I didn't go back there. You look at something like that, honey, that's something you won't forget for the rest of your life. Fair. The New York Newsday headlines read, No trick or treat, just a mummy in a suitcase, <laughs> but made no mention of Dory and Corey, only that the body had been discovered in Harlem. The body of a man wearing ragged boxer shorts and one sleeve of a t-shirt with a bullet in his head as gossip started to spread columnist richard johnson ran with the story and on december 17th of that year claimed the body had been found in a heavy trunk wrapped in saran wrap and packed with baking soda it said when johnson asked police about how long the body had been in there they told him anywhere from seven to twenty or seven months to 20 years police said there was no evidence of a note or journal explaining that the man's um the man's appearance such a big
1: variance in time (laughs) i know i was like this guy's bullshit as soon as
0: i read that according to johnson she had she had in fact left a note uh saying that the man had broken in trying to rob her and that it was pinned to the man's shirt however there was also the article that said he was only wearing a sleeve of a shirt so who fucking knows the next day the daily news followed up with a story from the associated press titled drag queen left mummy behind which claimed that the body was that of robert wells a man with previous arrests for rape assault and burglary he had last been seen by his family in 1968 and his body was wrapped not in saran wrap but in a faux leather material new york magazine had gotten the story the following year it was may of uh, 94 when it was published so you know not super long later and uh, the story was written by Jeannie russell Kassendorf. and Jeannie interviewed police sergeant alfred travers and detective joe roe uh, who had worked the case they gave her very little uh, as it was still an open investigation but roe explained that the that lois had made the call around 11 a.m the body had actually been found in a large garbage bag inside of the garment bag and had been identified through fingerprinting it was indeed bobby warley or bobby wells uh it was his alias and he was born December 18th 1830 not 1838
1: Oh my god <laughs> whoa, 1938 whoa. Oldest mummy ever <laughs> How old was um, Dory and Cory again? Oh, she just found okay. this mummy and
0: like <laughs> <laughs> put him in a bag <laughs> So 19, sorry, December 18th, 1938, um, and contrary to prior report, his only previous arrest was for raping and assaulting a woman in 1963, Casual. for which he served 30 years. So three years he was at Sing Sing. Kassendorf saw the mugshot from the arrest and describes the man as small with a gray overcoat, uh, gray overcoat. I fucked up once and now I can't recover. <laughs> <laughs> a gray overcoat over what looked like a light cub colored bathrobe he had a long narrow face glasses a thin mustache and curly hair cut close to his head they declined to tell her how long the body had been in the bag but roe did give her the name of worley's brother and the information information of the fingerprint expert quote the strange thing uh the strange thing about mr wells travers says is we have him released from sing sing in 1966 visiting his brother and that's the last time anyone saw him end quote i do highly recommend reading this article uh by Kassendorf if you are interested because she did her digging. And I'm like, I'm like weird about reporters because I'm like, oh, you kind of ruined the investigation for these guys. Or man, if the police had, or if you hadn't been there, the police wouldn't have known anything. Yeah. So it's like, it depends on the reporter. She openly goes through how she gave these cops a hard time and I fucking love it. <laughs> I was living for it. So um, she called back a couple days later because they wouldn't tell her anything. And uh, she talks to Detective Rowe and he tells her more information like they suspected that the gun was 25 caliber and she's like this was not convincing at all to her Mm. she's like this is bullshit so she does end up calling the fingerprint analysis expert uh and the member of the missing person squad for the medical examiner his name was raul figueroa the body was according to raul wrapped in cheap naga hide like imitation leather with tape around it, plus some other material. She was a seamstress, of course. The skin was in such bad shape by the time they got to the body, it was like old fabric that would fall apart at the touch. Mm, Gross. He described the body as halfway between mummification and decomposition because the wrapping kept a lot of air from getting to the body, leaving it to, as Figueroa put it, quote, float in its own
1: soup. Could have gone
0: my whole life without hearing that. (laughs) He spent several days treating the body and the skin so that he could get those fingerprints uh, with a personally invented trade secret that hardened the skin so that he could get those those prints correct. He also told Kassendorf about the flip tops. The unwrapping of the body exposed rings from old beer cans that used flip top tabs instead of like what we think of today Mm -hmm. when you open a beer can. Um, And they hadn't been used since the 70s. So based on that, he suspected that the body was at least 15 years to 25 years old when it was found uh they also you know note the brother hadn't seen him since the late 60s and naga Hyde was actually popular during the 70s so it kind of all starts to become cohesive here hmm when Kassendorf asked figueroa if she thought or if he thought that cory was emulating the egyptians and being campy and making it like a mummification thing he said i don't think so people just wrap up a body in whatever's available it's just spontaneous you wrap it up you put it in a suitcase then you put it in the closet then you just look at it periodically and wish it would go away i was like damn
1: I've thought about this <laughs> I mean, like, in kind of a dark way of comparison, that kind of reminds me of that. Um, what was it Maddie? the case where the kid oh, yeah. killed the little girl and yeah. stowed her under his bed and was just like if i don't have to look at it it doesn't exist like i yeah. just wish it would go away kind of situation so what we know now is that when the body was found it was indeed indeed wrapped
0: in this naga hide and plastic bags um well's brown skin had turned shades of purple and yellow um but how did the corpse get into the closet there are a lot of theories about this but with both dead there's no way to know for certain what happened so here comes the wild speculation (laughs) are you ready always so this was an area of harlem that uh was not great which dorian lived in she lived in the not not a great area. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of crime, a lot of gunfighting outside. I even read um, in that New York Times article that when Jenny Livingston was there to film Paris is Burning, uh, a gunfight broke out outside Corey's window, basically. And Corey just casually goes, gunfight OK Corral. <laughs> uh, Livingston actually said that the shot was done in both the old and new apartments. She had not smelled anything out of the ordinary. In both cases, because she didn't live in great areas either time it was likely that she would have wanted a gun for protection, uh, and she absolutely could not imagine Dorian being the type to wrap up a body and store it. The other queens that were interviewed said that Dorian never mentioned Bobby, but that he probably abused her. It may have been that Worley and Corey had a relationship that turned violent. Pepper LaBeja told Cassendorf the only husbands that Dorian kept were Eddie, who took off after stealing all of Dorian's ball money, and Leon, who had only been around for a few years. And when questioned by the police she couldn't identify bobby um so she didn't recognize him as somebody that she had had around and uh pepper and dorian went back to like the 60s together that being said leon dorian's most recent lover also confirmed that both he and his german shepherd prince smelled nothing out of the ordinary uh but when Kassendorf spoke to um Bobby's brother I have to pull this up because I want to read this to you verbatim um because I'm gonna say that t-word I told you I I didn't want to say but it's in a quote so I'm not saying it I'm just quoting it okay um after almost 20 years uh, or after almost 25 years later, Fred Worley got a call saying his brother had been found dead. Did it surprise him? Quote, not really. I stayed in the same place another 7 or 8 years, and my family stayed in the same place, so none of us heard from him. We figured something had befallen him. And Kassendorf asks him, do you know if he ever got involved with transvestites? I asked, not expecting the answer I got. Quote, oh yes, he said matter-of-factly. I think they had a relationship, he and this transvestite. I didn't know this was, uh, in him until one night he said he was live or when he was living with me he was obviously stewed he called our house well after midnight thinking he was calling his transvestite friend friend uh and talked and talked and i listened did she have a name yes yes he was searching for the name but did not come up with it dorian dorian that was it that's who he thought he called So from this interview, you can gather that there was perhaps a relationship that or she could have said any fucking name and he would have been like, oh, yeah, that bitch. Like, you know,
1: (laughs) I mean, Dorian um, is a pretty unique name. Yeah. uh, And
0: so Kessendorf asked, like, are you absolutely sure? And uh, he said, yes, I'm absolutely sure about that. From what I gathered, um, they had a little spat and my brother was trying to put some uh, emollient on the problem so that may be it that may be what happened uh what is interesting is that there was actually I can't remember who was talking about it a short story that cory allegedly wrote about a trans woman whose lover forces her into having sexual reassignment surgery mm-hmm. and then kills her lover out of revenge and that there was a note that said revenge question mark murder question mark um also abuse perpetuated against transgender people by their partners was a common occurrence in new york's community at the time Mm -hmm. or most communities at the time i would gather um there's also speculation that lois did it and hid the body there after dorian died oh just like
1: moved it over there
0: yeah despite her 135 pounds i can't i can't move it um because uh pepper labesia said that Even when Dorian was living in a dank basement apartment, there was no smell. And you would think with, like, all that moisture and everything of living in a basement apartment, especially in the heat of New York in the summer, like, you'd probably smell something.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, it it is odd that, like, the most important people in Dorian's life wouldn't be aware of who this person was. Yeah.
0: Now, also, Lois was very important to Dorian, so who knows. you know this this is literally wild speculation now um also there was the note did Worley break in and she shot him in self-defense uh there's a lot a lot a lot of reasons why a woman of color who was a trans woman in the gay community would not want to call the police it's I mean now but also in the 70s and the 80s yeah. and the 90s you know um they're not gonna you know say oh yeah we totally understand what happened no problem stand your ground it's fine yeah like if that was the case in any case self-preservation would tell you not to call the police if you were a woman of color who happens to be trans and a part of the gay community yeah especially with the, the police end. at that time yeah one report of the um words i just totally <laughs> lost what i was gonna say never mind okay i don't have it written down i was just remembered something and that it was gone <laughs> I hate when that happens. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the story of the skeleton in Dorian
1: court, uh, Corey's closet. We don't like co- closeted skeletons here. <laughs> Come out, skeletons. I also kind of... Sometimes I wonder if... Um someone else brought it to dorian's apartment yeah and like was just like hey i don't have a place to store this it's just fabric or whatever can i just leave this here and then it just got forgotten well and that's totally plausible because think of like all of her outfits
0: all of the beading the guillotines that she attached like that those costumes are heavy yeah. and i don't think it would have surprised anyone to pick up a bag and be like wow this is fucking heavy when you're dealing with Dorian and cory's closet yeah when you're dealing with these huge elaborate costumes
1: i mean exactly. just the amount of like if you again if you watch paris is burning you'll see how big this ballroom or, like, the, the ballroom average size is. Even just to have a a cape that's so big it covers the entire ballroom. Like, even that's gonna be so heavy. <laughs> it's not a big space. Yep. It's not a small area. But,
0: any speculation on your end? What do you think? Other than the stranger or uh, maybe, like, a, a house member.
1: I think that... Um, I think that it's possible that it was an act of self-defense, like you were saying, and she just didn't know what to do with the body. Mm -hmm. Um, so leaving it, and that's why it moved from one place to another. It also seems like it was, even though it was, um... Decomposing, It seemed rather sealed up. So that could also cover up some of the smell that people may assume would be coming from it. Because if they didn't smell it until they cut it open, mm-hmm. then it kind of stands to reason that most of the odor was being kept within it as long as it wasn't disturbed. And the fact that there's no zipper that, like, nobody said, oh, and they found the zipper underneath afterward. Like,
0: I never read that. She very well could have put this garment together around him. Yeah. Because he was, like, curled up in the fetal position in this bag like you cut off the part with the zipper and you just seal it shut and put it away yeah
1: but i think that based on what limited experience and knowledge i have of dorian Corey, i think that most people's um belief that she was not a violent person like to think that she would just like maliciously kill someone is doesn't make sense mm-hmm. i think it had to have been either if if she did it i think it was either an act of self-defense uh, not either it was an act of self-defense either from a lover who was attacking her or from someone who had broken into her home. And it also could have been a crime of passion. Yeah. Like if somebody is telling you, you have
0: to get a sex reassignment surgery or I'm going to leave you. Yeah. You could be so overwhelmed from the feelings of that, like being told who to be your entire life and now someone else is coming around to do the same Mm -hmm. thing that you just fucking lose it. I can't imagine uh, being a trans woman, period, but like in that time and to have those kinds of horrible expectations put on you.
1: So on mine, like I was saying before, to kick off our month long gay agenda, um, I'm going to start with some examples of the LGBTQIA plus groups and people of ancient and somewhat more modern society and the roles that they played within their cultures. Um, So right out of the gate, we're starting with one of the really big ones, at least in the US and Canada, among First Nations and Indigenous peoples. Two spirit people. Love that. So now let... That was the first one I'd ever heard about. Mm. Now, let me preface this. Two-spirit is not a sexuality, it is a gender identity. It is a feeling of occupying both the spirit of a woman and the spirit of a man. It is also a term along with things like, quote, finding your tribe or spirit animals that should only be used to describe someone who is among the indigenous or first nations populations. If you are not of those groups, you unfortunately are not two-spirit. Hate to break it to you. Yep. Look, I, my grandmother, her grandmother,
0: was Mohawk Iroquois nation so I have like a 30 second of (laughs) of Iroquois blood and I still say I'm a white bitch like you trying to come out here with like a tiniest bit and you saying that you indigenous get the fuck out of my face
1: Um, so, the term two spirit is actually very new in the grand scheme of things. To separate it from the original term that was used, which is burdace, burdesh, um, which is now seen as more of a derogatory term that was used basically to identify anyone that didn't fit in with the normal white Christian societal gender norms. If you were thought to be homosexual, bisexual, or effeminate as a man, you got labeled as a bird age by anthropologists. On occasion, this term was also attached to biologically female people, and sometimes incorrectly implied that the- that- had these care the people that had these characteristics were intersex, meaning that they had a combination of male and female anatomy, which that's an incredibly interesting thing too, like intersex people, because there's so much, I mean, like the kind of dated term are like hermaphrodites, but the more common term now is intersex. And there are people who are finding out now in their, you know, 40s, 50s, whatever, that they're intersex. Because they their parents swept it under the rug that, you know, they had yeah. to have surgery or modifications or like men who have ovaries, like you don't yeah, know was, that you have them. I think there
0: was an episode of something on TLC about that. I remember watching in like college. Yeah.
1: And so there's all sorts of like internal workings in your body that you might not be aware of unless you're having direct problems with it. I think is Jamie
0: Lee Curtis? I don't know. Because I remember, man, I gotta look.
1: (laughs) Um, But so one of the quotes I found that uh, Burdesh is a derogatory term created by Europeans and perpetuated by anthropologists and others to define a Native American slash First Nation people who varied from Western norms that perceive gender, sex, and sexuality as bina- binaries and inseparable. So using the word two-spirit began actually in 1990 when First Nations people, I believe in Ontario, um, wanted a distinction between First Nations people and the anthropologists that decided what name the Native American people should be using. Mm. So a bunch of First Nations people got together and said, we're not going to continue using this name that the white people gave us we're making right. our own um which is why you'll find some uh native american people who are anti the two-spirit name because their tribe was not part of the conversation oh i didn't know that. yeah there's there's some because uh, i've talked to some of my friends and stuff that are native who don't recognize two-spirit not because they don't believe that like trans people exist and are valid, but that two-spirit does not apply. That's not the term their tribe uses. Because I will get into a bunch of tribes that all have unique names for their own interpretation of this. Two-spirit is just kind of the encompassing name to unify everybody under one mantle. It's kind of like how you have homosexual, but you also have gay, and that gay is sometimes yeah. used like interchangeably for anybody who is on like the, the orientation spectrum. I was going to say the, the queerness <laughs> chart. So before white Christians came and forced their gender roles on indigenous people in America and Canada, uh, there were over 150 tribes that had some form of a third gender. While that by no means means all of the different tribes had a third gender, there is some recorded evidence that tribes didn't rec- tribes that didn't recognize this third gender would mistreat people that identified with that third gender if that tribe was conquered. So there's some evidence of warriors in the losing tribe being forced to dress and act as women as a form of humiliation. Um, so that happens in a lot of societies. <laughs> Um, it wasn't just people assigned male at birth that took on more of the feminine roles in the tribe, but also people who were assigned female at birth that took more masculine roles in the tribe. There are also two very well-known two-spirit individuals from the 1880s that I found as well. So here we go. Oh, yeah. So- And I apologize if I mispronounce these names. I do my best, but I am guessing at most of them. So, Wewa of the Zuni tribe located around modern-day New Mexico was known as the first Lamana, I'm guessing, which is the traditional Zuni gender role who was assigned male at birth, but lived in part or mostly as a woman and wore women's woman's clothing. Uh, Lamana mainly performed the daily tasks of a woman in a Zuni tribe, but they also were allowed special permission to male-focused tasks at special events, including spiritual meditation and skill in crafts and knowledge of for instructing others. So they basically were allowed to be mostly, Both. but yeah, mostly working as women. But when it came to um, skills and uh, what do I want to say, like uh, my brain just forgot the word. <laughs> Look, uh,
0: we're on a roll today. Yeah, it's great. tangents and forget shit
1: (laughs) but you know like spiritual events like different uh traditional things like that would they would be invited to take part in and lead in 1886 Weiwa was hosted by an anthropologist in washington dc named matilda stevenson where she would meet the current president grover cleveland and was generally seen treated and often mistaken for a cis woman so if they could do it in 1886 get with the program 2021 Jeez. Mm, um one of the anthropologists close to her described a as quote the strongest character and the most intelligent of the zuni wow. tribe that's, that's um, saying a lot that's a pretty nice compliment. Yeah so another important indigenous person in this regard was Tish, a member of the Crow tribe. In this tribe they were identified as a bate, maybe I think <laughs> which was an important role and they were not only seen as accepted but they were seen as the bridge between male and female oh. roles. She was an amazing seamstress that earned the right to make the Crow Chief Iron Bull his buffalo skin lodge, which was a what? huge deal.
0: That's super cool.
1: She was also known for being a brave warrior. Um, and her name translates to find them and kill them. <laughs> I fucking love that.
0: Can I please? Can I please someday be known as find them and kill them?
1: In a quote from the Human Rights Campaign's page about two spirit people, Quote, "The effects of colonialism in Native American communi- communi- communities, communities re- resulted in the marginalization on the basis of racial/ethnic identity and also the gender and sexual and also of gender and sexuality. Christian European colonizers condemned same-sex relationships and gender variance as sinful and used these beliefs to further dehumanize indigenous peoples." Mm. So some specific roles um, that were held by male identify or male biologically male people who were two spirits included for various tribes. So in the Yuki tribe, they were the conveyors of oral traditions and songs Um, in the Winnebago, Oglala and Lakota. They were fortune tellers and uh, foretellers of the future in uh, Oglala, Lakota Tohono and Odom they were confers of lucky names on children or adults Hmm. which is something that happens in several different of these like uh different things I'm going to be talking about um in the Zuni Navajo Tohono Odom they were seen as potters In the Cheyenne, Omaha, Ogala, and Lakota, they were matchmakers. Um, In Maidu, they were makers of feather regalia for dances. And in Crow, Hidasta, Ogala, and Lakota, they were special role players in the sun dances. So that's just a glimpse of how many different tribes had people who were born biologically one gender who later identified as their tribe's third gender and what they did, basically. Yeah. Um, so in Native Hawaiian and Tahitian culture, I found the third gender called mahu. So, according to present-day mahu kumu hula, um, Iki, mahu are particularly respected as teachers, usually of hula dance and chant. chant. In pre-contact times, mahu performed the roles of goddesses in hula dances that took place at temples, which were off-limits to women. Mahu were also valued as the keepers of cultural traditions, such as passing down genealogies, and traditionally, parents would ask the mahu to name their children wow. because they were seen as confers of lucky names. Um, a surviving monument to the history are the, quote, wizard stones of Kape, Ma- Kape Mahu on Waikiki Beach, which commemorate four important mahu who first brought healing arts to he- from Tahiti to Hawaii. So they were also the original healers and medicine people of Tahitian and Hawaiian cultures. Um, Like any other culture that was subjected to colonization, the Mahu went through a time period where they were seen as sinful and they were treated more poorly. Um, But luckily, times have started to correct the mistakes of the past. A new terminology has been added to make a distinction between someone who is a mahu and a transgender person oh as of 2003 there's even terminology that's been adopted for a trans person who feels they are differently internally and terminology for a trans person who has started to express their identity externally either through surgery clothing or hairstyles so a mahu wahini is internally female, a mahu Kane is internally male, a ho uh ho'ahu wahini um is externally female, and a ho'okane is externally male. So I thought that was really interesting that they have a distinction between like your like a, a validation almost right. of you know you are transitioning or you're not, but either way you're still a Wahini. Like yeah. you're still a woman. You're still a man, you're just like this kind right. of woman or this kind of man. And they wanted to sort of separate it from someone who identifies as a mahu, which is someone who identifies as right. both. So you have your NDS or you have your trans. Yeah. Um in Indonesia there's a culture known as the bugis bugis. Bugis um, does the- not sound good. It does not sound good. Uh, The largest of the three major ethnic groups there. And while they are predominantly Muslim, they have kept some of their past traditions and beliefs. One of these beliefs is that gender is not a binary, but a spectrum. This society recognizes five genders. Makunrai, Kroani, Bisu, Kalabai, and Kalalai. So Oroani is... Are comparable to cisgender men, and Mak Kun Rai um, are cisgender women. Kala Lai is trans men, and Kala Bai are trans women. While Bisu are androgynous or intersex people who are revered as sham- shamans, shamans
0: <laughs> or community. I played princes. a shaman in WoW once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, in local or er, in daily society, daily. Social Look, hanging with us
0: people. We are having a <laughs> rough day.
1: It'll be better when it's edited and I can take all the bullshit out. <laughs> you better
0: take out my bullshit too, not just I yours. do.
1: I always do. Unless it's really funny that it stays in for either one of us. Like, like, Shaman is staying. <laughs> but in daily social life the bisu the kalabai and the kalalai may enter the dwelling places and the villages of both men and women so they can all just go where they need to go um for one to be considered a bisu all aspects of gender must be combined into to form a whole so you have to kind of represent both genders physically as well as like how you emotionally feel about situations so there's no like swapping back and forth from what i can see it's like they they pretty clearly represent both genders like in their dress and how they the daily tasks that they take on in their lives and stuff they're kind of almost just like split down the middle of male and female they'll be wearing like traditional female like clothing but then like a traditionally male like headpiece or like vice versa and things like that and so it's it's really interesting Hmm. Because they're not trying to physically, at least the ones that I saw pictures of, aren't trying to, like, physically pass, quote-unquote, like, as either gender. They just Mm -hmm. are. It's believed that you are born with prosperity to become a bisu, uh, revealed in a baby whose genitalia is ambiguous. Um, these ambiguous genitalia need not be visible. Um, a normative male who becomes a bisu is believed to be female on the inside. Ah. Oh, okay. So the Bisu are meant to learn the language, songs, and incantations and have a gift for bestowing blessings. Hell yeah. In pre Islamic um Bugis culture, Bisu are seen as intermediaries between people and gods. According to Indonesian anthropologist Professor Halinatar <laughs> Lathief. That's a good right. name. Right? Lathief is a pretty good name. Um, up until the 1940s, the Bisu were still central to keeping ancient palace rituals alive, including coronations of kings and queens. Unfortunately, homophobia has de- caused the decline of people willing to take the position of Bisu, uh, which is unfortunately a thing that we are seeing in a lot of these cultures. Um, where this is sort of dying out out of fear rather than losing necessity for people this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the Philippines... There is a bakla. Uh, a bakla is a person who is assigned male at birth and adopted a feminine gender expression. Um, the Philippines is also another one where they recognize... Uh, they basically just call it tomboy now, but it's just mm-hmm. the flip. It's a person who is assigned female at birth that has adopted male gender expression. Um... Prior to the Spanish colonization of the Philippines, the bakla were allowed to do specific roles um, for win- that were reserved for women in the community, including the role of shaman. So, in the Philippines, oh. only women could be shamans, unless you were bakla. What about shamans? <laughs> shamans, that's more ambiguous. That could be either. Okay. Who knows? There's no way to know. <laughs> um, shaman. <laughs> is that going to be the new bullet injection? <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, Shamans were highly respected members of the community who functioned as healers, keepers of oral histories, sorcerers, and spirit mediums for communicating with ancestral and natural spirits. Um, Of course, the Catholics showed up and fucked everything up. You know, they yep. started killing all of the shamans and the bakwa was never completely wiped out or stopped. It somehow has continued to be fairly widely accepted as part of Filipino culture. So there's still a lot of Filipinos that identify as bakwa and they are not like necessarily treated differently or worse as a result of it. I'm sure that that depends on the community that you're in. If you're in a heavily Muslim community, you probably don't want to be there as a bakla, But especially with the recent uh because so much of um the Philippines is Catholic, with the more yeah. recent um doctrines from the Catholic Church of just being like, yeah, you can't fucking kill gay people anymore. Like you need to stop doing that. Um it's gotten a lot easier to be openly homosexual in the mm-hmm. Philippines. And it's never been illegal to be gay in the Philippines, actually. Well that's neat. Yeah, from what I was reading at least. Um, As far back as 300 to 250 CE, at the writing of the Kama Sutra, Indian culture has expressed the idea of a gender that is neither male nor female. This third gender is officially called a hydra? 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 Hydra. That's scary. (laughs) It has traditionally been translated into English as basically eunuch or hermaphrodite, where the quote- irregularity of male genitalia is central to the definition. However, in general, hedras are born male, only a few having born with intersex variation. Uh, Some do undergo an initiation rite to the um, hedra community called a Nirvan, which involves the removal of the penis, scrotum, and testicles. Yeesh. Um, Hedra's... Hedrug and the Angry Inch style. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Hedra's have successfully gained the recognition in Bangladesh and are eligible for um, priority in education and certain kinds of low-paid jobs. In India, the Supreme Court in April 2014 recognized them, transgender people, eunuchs, and intersex people as a third gender in law. Oh, wow. Um, Nepal, Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh have all legally accepted the existence of a third gender, with India, Pakistan, and Nepal including an option for them on passports and certain official documents. Um, However, these changes do not mean that their lives are easy. Um, Like many other countries that are struggling with an acceptance of a third gender or a gender spectrum, the deck is stacked heavily against them. They are faced with being one of the lowest castes and are often faced with poverty, mistreatment, abuse, Less options for jobs, less options for housing, less options for education. But luckily, as we were kind of talking about the houses in gay culture in America, um, hedras often live in communities full of other hedras that have been rejected from their home or fled it out of concern for their safety. And there's normally like a guru or gurus involved with sort of the organization of these communities and keeping everybody kind of safe and together. Um, The
0: house mother
1: the house guru um in northern india the goddess um bahuchara Mata was is worshiped by pav Pavaya, which comes up in a minute and in southern india the goddess Ranuka renuka is believed to have the power to change one's gender um so both of these goddesses are very important to the hijaz like patron deities basically uh there are two hindu deities that are fairly highly worshipped in addition. Well one is the um Bahucharamada, um that are predominantly worshipped by the hedras So the first, Bahucharamada Say that for a third time, how and many hope, how many times? Hope, hope that I'm saying say it. it correctly each time. Um, she is a Hindu goddess with two unrelated stories, both associated with transgender behavior. Um, so one story is that she appeared in the avatar of a princess who castrated her husband because he would run in the woods and act like a woman rather than have sex with her. What? Um, another story is that a man tried to rape her, so she cursed him with impotence. When oh, I like that one. When the man begged her forgiveness to have the curse removed, she relented only after he agreed to run in the woods and act like a woman. Oh, uh, never mind. The primary temple to this goddess is located in Gorarat, and it is a pi- place of pilgrimage for the Hedras who see Bahuchara Mata as a patroness um the second is lord shiva so one of the forms of lord shiva is merging with parvati where they together become Ardhanari, a god that is half Shiva and half Parvati, which is half male and half female, the perfect combination. Mm. So Ardhanari has a special significance as a patron deity of the Hidras who identify with gender ambiguity versus a binary. Mm. And like I said earlier, there are tons of cultures that have specific names, titles, duties, goals for members of the LGBTQIA+. (laughs) plus. community i'm just gonna fall into the tiktok trend by the end of this and start calling everybody the alpha- alphabet mafia uh, Love it. <laughs> there are so many more than what i was able to cover here today but like i said before i wanted to mainly focus on cultures where these people were recognized before our modern age mm-hmm. i guess i'm kind of hoping that if we can connect our current people to our past history where there was more fluidity and gender and orientation that maybe we can forge a better path forward with the information from our past that's beautiful yeah, I just feel like I, like I had no, I knew I knew a little bit about Two Spirit, and that's all, yeah. that's all. and I knew that there was the culture in um, India that I knew about that at a very very base level understanding of it. I'm like, I know that there are like, I thought they were trans communities that were banding together to sort of like safety in numbers situation but there was so much more than i expected to find
0: it makes me wonder um you know how and and this is not the, i don't want this to come out the wrong way but like you know how a trans person says i'm not a trans woman i'm a woman yeah you know those sorts of things it's like I, it makes me wonder of these third um gender categories like how that makes trans people feel um be like oh i'm not a woman i'm this like but but i'm a woman like
1: but it's it's I, an identifier it's, it's yeah. the idea that you can still be a someone who is assigned male at birth who is now identifying as a woman. Mm-hmm. You can also identify as a trans woman if that makes you feel right. comfortable or if you want people to see the representation out there that's important. But you can also identify as this third gender that is an option in your culture, you know, like, that's why, you know, I wanted to preface the part about Two-Spirit with the, you know, like, it's not an orientation, it's a gender, and it's both, you know, so it's, if you're a trans person, that doesn't mean that you feel both male and female, you feel how you feel you normally feel either male or you feel female you don't feel both so you wouldn't qualify if you were an indigenous or first nations person as a as a two spirit because you identify with one of the binaries which is still fine mm-hmm. yeah but this exists as a third intermediary option
0: it just made me think like hmm, i wonder how like modern people would look at that especially since so many people have the internet and so many opinions yeah well, i'm sure. <laughs> just like oh man i'm so curious just how many people would want to rip this apart
1: oh i'm sure i'm sure there's tons of people
0: but yeah that's i think that that is so fascinating and i'm really glad you went over those and you know if nothing else if we run out of stuff to talk about you can talk about Mark culture <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're gonna run out of things to talk about.
1: Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I do think that it's a funny idea to recommend a piece of gay media to I love it. <laughs> every love every it. day We gotta think of one one for next week. I man. mean there's another similar documentary to uh Paris is Burning that's on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Next week. Oh, shh. Next week. You'll find out what it is next week. Yeah, I'll <laughs> I'll just like put a beep noise a sound effect. I love it. It's that. called I beep. Love that it's for called you. censored. <laughs> It's called redacted. <laughs> Take us out. So thanks for joining us today, kicking off Pride Month, or Wrath Month, or Envy Month, or whatever. Glutton Month. Yeah, every month is Glutton Month. <laughs> That's that every month for me. <laughs> um, and come back next week as we will continue to show our love to our LGBTQ plus brothers, sisters, and siblings with or without genders. We also hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcasts at gmail.com. If you're sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. Are you a two-spirit? Or do you identify as a third gender that we didn't cover today that you would like to tell us about? Oh, please tell us. Please tell us. I have a friend. uh (laughs) I didn't mean to sound like (laughs) a... An English orphan, just the. <laughs> please, please, sir. Please. <laughs> please, sir. Send us an email. <laughs> I have a friend who from high school who identifies as Two Spirit, and I've considered oh, wow. um, messaging them and seeing if they would like do an interview or anything with us. That would be really. But they're cool. also going through some health stuff right now, so it might not be the best time.
0: Well, let them know we're thinking about them. Anyway. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast. Or on our personal accounts, Roya Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post the weird gay shit in our personal lives. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange and unusual at calamity Casey and at Roy rampage. We're on Facebook. Just search strange and unusual podcast. And right now we are streaming ish sort of, and you can find us there at twitch.tv slash calamity and twitch.tv slash rampage. If you'd like to find us over on Patreon, it's patreoncom slash strange unusual, where we discuss other weird shit that we don't put here. So if you love the sound of our voices, and you're interested in hearing us queer bitches talk even more about bullshit that doesn't matter, go to patreon.com strangeandusual and <laughs> usual we do understand right now we are <laughs> of our
1: podcast ever listening to these two dumb bitches talk about shit that doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs>
0: we do understand right now we are still the year of our lord 2021 and things are bad so if you cannot support us financially we do just ask that you will like share subscribe rate review throw us some nice words of affirmation send us an email let us know what you think and uh like five star reviews we'll read them out loud with your consent, as long as you tell Roya, Hey, I want you to go ahead and read this, or nope, no, thank you. Please don't read this. Specifically that second part. You gotta say no. No means no. Yep. Or else she'll do it. Fucking do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, do those things. And uh that's it. Watch stay. Gay. Watch Paris is burning. Yes. <laughs> okay, love you, bye. bye.